0: Hello everyone, this is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. The Holy Spirit's the most misrepresented person within the Trinity, and I've said this earlier in the series, the Holy Spirit isn't kooky, and He isn't spooky. So part five of our series, continuing in it, and uh, last week I spoke to you about uh, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. And just to go back a little bit and kind of give us uh, where we were and where we're going today, let's, dis- let's look at what, what regeneration is from the Bible. And just, if you want to kind of, just kind of describe what regeneration is, it's really just a big theological word. It just simply means this, spiritual rebirth, producing a new beginning. It's the renewal of the moral and spiritual nature. It's the rebirth of the human spirit and our restored relationship with God. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. I think this is probably the best one. It's a work of the Holy Spirit reser- resulting in an interpersonal resurrection from sin to a new life in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's in a nutshell what regeneration is. That's how we would describe it theologically. Let's just look at it from Scripture. How, how do we see new birth in the Scriptures? Where, where do we see that? Or, or regeneration from the Scriptures? Paul talks about this In uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. A new creation, a new person. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Regeneration is described as a new creation. Uh, Jesus spoke about regeneration in these terms. In John 3, 3, very popular passage of Scripture. Um, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Same discussion, same conversation, going down to verse 7. Look what Jesus says. Uh, John 3, 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. So Jesus describes regeneration as being born again. I want you just for a moment to go back uh, to the time where you gave your life to Jesus. And for some of you, that might have been a really long time ago. Um, but go back to the, the moment you gave your life to Jesus. I just want you to think about a few things. And uh, just think about what took place when you gave your life to Jesus. Now, you might be thinking of the environment, the music, the, the whatever it was, the sermon, the speaker, the church. But I want you to think about the process that was taking place in your life when you gave your life to Jesus. And here's what had to happen. Number one, you were convicted of your sins. The Holy Spirit brought conviction in your life. You knew you were a sinner, and you needed to be saved. So you responded to that conviction by this way. Someone shared the gospel to you in that moment of need, in that moment of conviction. Someone said, hey, there is a way, there is a hope, there is salvation, and salvation is available through this person named Jesus. He's the Son of God. So you responded to the gospel then, and, and Jesus was presented to you, repented of your sins, and you placed your faith in Jesus as Savior. So that, by the way, is not a Pentecostal theology, Baptist or whatever. That's just Bible, right? That's what must take place. You must know you're a sinner. You need to be saved. You surrender your life to Jesus, and that's what, what is the introduction, so to speak. What takes place after that is it's just as important. When you give your life to Jesus, when you respond by surrendering yourself, whether you said the sinner's prayer or you just simply said, you know what, today's the day I'm going to start living for God. You made that commitment, that declaration. This should have taken place in your life. Subsequently to all that, you should have been born again. You must be born again, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit made you a new creation, and the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. Again, that doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't just dwell in us because we're Pentecostals. The Holy Spirit dwells in every true believer. So it doesn't matter the denomination. You must be born again. The Holy, Holy Spirit makes you a new person, and he comes to dwell in you. Now, when did that happen for you? When did that take place? When were you born again? I want you just to think about that, because that's the kind of the scenario that takes place. Again, Jesus didn't present new birth as something that's optional. He said that you must be born again. It's not an option. So you must be born again. So this is what I would ask. So regeneration is a must. Why must we be regenerated? Why must we be born again? So that's kind of where we left off last week. And I think one of the reasons why, and it's not the only reason, but it's a very important reason, one reason why the Holy Spirit makes us a new person is so that the Holy Spirit can empower us to live a new life. Romans 6:4. "...therefore we were buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... Even so, we should also walk in newness of life. Jesus was resurrected. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected to new life, and he now lives that new life. So is the same for us. We have been given newness of life. The Holy Spirit will not force us to live newness of life. Just because you're born again doesn't mean it's automatically going to take place. You have to walk in newness of life. So I think this is what takes place when, when we look at uh, new birth and we look at the reason why. I just want to mention this. When it comes to new birth, Jesus did not atone for our sins, give his life for us, so that we could experience this, experience this wonderful uh, gift, this wonderful privilege of being born into the family of God, becoming a new creation, and, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us for this, that we continue in our sins and still go to heaven. That, for me, church, doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus want us to continue to live and and just meddle in sin, which is going to destroy us when he's given us life, when he's come to set us free? So what happens is I think we try to sometimes within the church, within Christianity, we try to Christianize our old way of life and and our sins. And the church today is making some of the same errors the early church made uh, when Christianity was legalized. So Christianity was legalized in, uh, Rome, or by, by the Roman Empire in 313 AD. And Christianity went from being a legal superstition to the religion of the Roman Empire decreed by Constantine. So the early church in its zeal, it tried to spread the gospel this way. And this was a, a, a major mistake they made in the early days of Christianity. They s- decided to Christianize uh, the Roman Empire. If you're not familiar with that term this is what christianizing means it's the conversion of individuals to christianity or an entire people group tribes villages all at once converting their native pagan practices their culture their religious imagery their religious sites and holidays and convert them all over to christianity you say what does that have to do with us today we do this to this day I'm going to show you what I mean by that. Many churches and Christians in our nation are Christianizing their sin and their sinful behavior. Jesus did not come to save us from our sin so that we can remain hostage to our sin. Wouldn't you agree with that? He who the Son sets free is free indeed. So when we present a gospel that says this, uh, give your life to Jesus, get forgiven, uh, go to heaven, and if you're still bound in sin, it's no big deal. That, in my opinion, just doesn't compute with the Word of God. Jesus did not save us from our sins so that we can remain hostage to sins, still go to heaven, and that's a perverted gospel. The Holy Spirit did not make us a new creation, give us new life, so that we can just go back and live the life we previously lived, just Christianized. New birth is something that's radical that takes place. We receive a new heart, and with that new heart, we receive a new desires. Are we talking about perfection here? No but we are given a new heart and a new life. And it's not a grace or a license to sin. The Apostle Paul really fought this idea in the early church. He really had to combat this. When when people heard about grace and and what it meant, and uh, being strangers, and really having not a great idea of what grace is, uh, grace, uh, God gives me this grace, and if I sin, I get more grace. Paul goes, no, 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 that's not the way it works. He addresses this in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So he's asking a rhetorical question, correct? Because he gives the answer. Certainly not. Absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Or do you not know that as many of you as, as, excuse me, or do you not know that as many as of, as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, we were baptized Uh, into his death. Therefore, we were buried, and here's the context of the verse I used earlier, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Jesus, or just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So the Holy Spirit made us a new creation, and he empowers us to live a new life. See, if we aren't living a new life and we're really just using grace as a means to remain in sin, aren't we just putting lipstick on a pig? If we embrace Jesus as Savior and accept his grace, but we reject his lordship, aren't we really just trampling on the grace of God? God gives us grace not to stay in our sin. God gives us grace to leave sin. God gives us grace not to live our old lives, God gives us grace to live a new life. The Holy Spirit who dwells in us and empowers us, he helps us to live that life. But that life won't happen automatically. Grace without repentance is really just a lie that is going to damn a lot of people. Grace without repentance is going to be something that damns a lot of people. People who identify as Christian. Jesus said this in uh, Luke 13:5. I tell you the truth, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You too will all perish unless you repent. So Jesus can't save us from our sins if we aren't willing to repent of our sins. He can't save us from our sins. We don't believe in universal salvation where that Jesus paid the price for everyone and eventually everybody's just going to be saved and go to heaven. So we don't believe in universal salvation. We believe in order for you to come to salvation, for you to experience the benefit of the cross, you must repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. And in essence, you're surrendering your life to his lordship. Now well, the good news is all that takes place, and it's not just a, a decision here, but God says, you know, I'm going to even help you out. I'm going to take you a step further. I'm going to make you a new creation so you, that you can do what's written in my word. And not only that, I'm not going to stop there. I'm just not going to make you a new person. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's not going to be around you. He's going to be in you. And he's going to be in you, and he's going to empower you to live this life. See, grace is given to us under, those, under those of that range of, of what has taken place. All this has taken place, and then God says, here, and I'm going to help you out. I'm going to give you grace so that you overcome sin. See, it's just, we are trampling on grace. If we just simply come to this place, we say, well, God, you've done all this, but I I just still can't make it. I just can't live for you still. And I would go back to this, then, are you born again? Because that is the real question. Because if you are born again, you can walk in freedom. You can walk in victory. We cannot Christianize our behavior in order to cover up our unwillingness to repent of our sin. And church, sometimes we just got to be really honest, not with me, but just with God and with ourselves. And just say this, there are some sins that I just like to sin and do. And see, the perverted gospel says this, and that's okay, but it's not okay. It's it's detrimental to your spiritual health. In essence, it will kill you, right? It will separate you from God. That's not why God gave us grace, is to remain in a behavior and a pattern that will destroy us. If you've been saved from your sin, why on earth would you ever want to go back into sin? See, some of you have grown up in church, and you've been a Christian all your life, and that's great. I think that's the testimony we should all have. But some of us didn't grow up in a Christian home. And some of us still remember what it was like to sin and be bound by sin. And sin in in a variety of ways. Why on earth would I ever want to go back to that hog pen? 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. It's a process. Being transformed into the same image. What image? It's the image of God, the image of Christ. So we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, progression, step by step. And how does that happen? Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord empowers us to be transformed. So how can we be tr- transformed in the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit if we're Christianizing our sin? The Holy Spirit who made us a new creation empowers us to become more like Jesus. Again, he does not empower us to become less like Jesus. The process we're talking about here is called sanctification. I know it's a big theological word, and, but it, it's, 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 mo- it's one of the most important words. That we have in our, in our theology. Because we don't believe this. That salvation is just a one and done thing. And that's it. We believe salvation is something we live and we walk through daily. And that it's not this. That we've just been born again. And suddenly, hey, that's it. No, we believe this. That in that state of being born again, God continues to work in us. To make us more and more like Jesus. Less and less like our old selves and our flesh. Otherwise, if that doesn't take place, church. We are going to slide right back into the pit of sin that we came out of. So this, too, is also a work of grace. Sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus, and it cannot and it will not take place without the Holy Spirit. You can't make yourself holy. It has to be a work of the Holy Spirit. We cannot make ourselves more like Jesus. You can try all you want, but you're going to fail in your own power. The human flesh is limited. The only way we become more like Jesus is our willful reliance upon the Holy Spirit. And many Christians will try to do this. They'll try to use traditions, uh, their heritage, perhaps, religious customs, maybe just their human efforts. But all this will be in vain. It will come to no avail unless they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. When our efforts to become more like Jesus without the Holy Spirit fall short, this is what happens, and this happens all the time, frustration. What am I going to church for anyways? Why, Why am I giving this up? Why am I giving—all those are the wrong questions, by the way, signifying there's something still wrong here. So if you find yourself asking those questions, what, what is it worth? What, you know, something is not right here still. You're, you still may not be born again, and it's okay to say that. So when our efforts, again, to be more like Jesus without the Holy Spirit fall short, we end up frustrated, we end up confused, we end up religious— Because those efforts are incapable of providing real transformation. So coming to church, for instance, won't make you a new creation. Now I want to see you here every Sunday because it's a spiritual discipline. And we should be in church. You need to be encouraged. Uh, there, There are a lot of things that take place in a church setting that cannot be fulfilled unless you're in a church setting. There's so many aspects of being a Christian that has to take place within those confines of fellowship with other believers. So I'm not saying that church isn't a priority. It is and it should be for every believer. But unless we are committed to living in newness of life, coming to the church ain't going to do a thing. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying, all that will be, listen to this, have little to no effect unless the Holy Spirit is with you, helping you, empowering you. Otherwise, again, you're just out on this journey by yourself, and God is with you as your, as your passengers, like, eating popcorn, watching you as you fail and succeed all the time. That doesn't make any sense. He is the helper. Remember that earlier in the series? He helps us. He empowers us. He equips us. He's with us. He's encouraging us. So Christianity, what we handle is Christianity this way. We kind of do this kind of form in a lot of churches. We tend to educate people. We want to educate them about the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying this, without the Holy Spirit, there's no amount of education that can make you walk in newness of life. The Holy Spirit is the agent who brings about change and transformation in a believer's life. We cannot experience sanctification unless we are born again. We cannot experience sanctification unless we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. So when we look at our world today and we wonder, what in the world is going on with our world Look no further than this issue right here. And the blame is not the world, because the world is going to be the world. Sinners will be sinners, and they will continue to sin in egregious ways. The reason why the culture we see that is so out of control, and and everything is so PC and woke and whatever, you can't say anything anymore, you might offend this person, you might offend that person. The reason why it's so out of control is this, because the church has put this area of sanctification at a very low level. Today in our world, we call good evil and evil good. Why is that? Because the church has become silent. And when I mean silent, it's not just from the pulpit. Silent in how we live and how we conduct ourselves outside of these doors. In many Christian denominations and fellowships, we've allowed popular culture to even redefine how we present the gospel. So a gospel message is being shared that is compromised, let's say, and it's PC, it's pitical, politically correct because we don't want to offend sinners. Now, think about this. Sinners who have offended God because we all offend God with our sin. You know, we're not all God's children. We are sinners. We are enemies of God. We aren't born children of God. We're born sinners, enemies. And what w- we can't call people enemies. That might offend them. That might scare them, that might, might hurt them, but this, this, this is what we're saying, this is what the Word of God says. Why would we ever want to compromise the Word? See, the reason is because we want to try to be the Holy Spirit. And you and I can't be the Holy Spirit. God forbid that we may tell sinners the truth, and they hear the truth, and they're set free by the truth. We can't lure people into experiencing new birth. Come on, come on. It's not so bad once you get in here. can't do that. You can't be the Holy Spirit. Good intentions. You know, what's the old saying? Hell is full of good intentions, right? It's full of good intentions. Good intentions, but we, what we do is we compromise the gospel. Because you can't lure someone into, into just total surrender. Because that's what it requires. That's what salvation requires, is surrender. can't lure people into that. Because what happens if you lure people into that, and you're like, oh, all you got to do is say this, believe this, that, and you're good. And then you get involved with in Christianity, and you're like, well, there's more to it than this, isn't there? You bet, buddy. You were sold a bill of goods. You were, you were shortchanged. And what happens is people walk away from Christianity feeling duped, or they feel like they're, you know, they haven't experienced new birth. They're just simply educated. And I'm missing something. Why is there this hole still in me? Why do I stop this? this I feel bound, and I feel just troubled all the time because we have lured them into a false gospel that's why so we can't educate people to be born again only the holy spirit is capable of sanctifying and transforming that person so when the church condones sin on any level or we compromise we we compromise the integrity of god's word when we do that if we are fearful of ostracizing sinners because our message may offend them the church is complicit in their judgment we are complicit in their judgment See, sinners won't repent unless they know the truth. Jesus said you again, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. When we compromise the message and we lower the bar of repentance, we are trying to help the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. When we minimize sin or we downplay repentance, we create a version of Christianity that is complicit to the moral decay that we see in our world. So the root word of, of the word sanctification is sanctify. And that's a word we find throughout the entirety of God's Word. Old Testament, New Testament. I'm just going to concentrate on some New Testament examples. And if I were to share all of them, we would be here all day, and you don't want to do that. So I'm just going to pick out a few. So the word sanctify is the root word of sanctification. Here's some great examples that we find in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, so a church just like ours in the city of Corinth, to those who are what? Sanctified set apart in Christ Jesus. And look at this, called to be saints, holy ones. This is what we're called. This is why we're set apart, to be holy. With all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, look, our Lord. Do you know the word Lord describing Jesus is used way more than Savior? Lord is the term that is most used to describe Jesus. But we like the Savior part, though, don't we? But forget about that Lord part, that Master part, that King part. But unless Jesus is Lord, we won't be transformed. So we are sanctified, we are set apart for God. Look at 2 Timothy 2.21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor. Look at this. Sanctified, set apart, and useful for the Master. Prepared for every good work. We are sanctified or set apart To become a vessel of honor, fulfilling the plans and the purposes, not of us, but fulfilling the plans and purpose of our master, who is Jesus. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified, no, being sanctified, progress, a procession it's, it's, take, it's, a, it's a beginning and an end. That ends when we get to heaven, when we step in the way, when we're transformed forever. But until then, we should be changed from glory to glory, a progression, a process. We are sanctified and we are being sanctified. So we're being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's an active process of us getting further and further away from sin and closer and closer to Jesus. Further and further away from this world, closer and closer to the kingdom of god and the holy spirit empowers us to do this sanctification it all hinges on our cooperation with the holy spirit sanctify the word it means to make holy Uh, it signifies being set apart for god and this is what god does to he again he calls us out of the world he pulls us out of the world he saves us he makes us his children and then he sets us apart for a purpose and then we have to grow mature. We have to be transformed into that purpose. So when we experience new birth, God sets us apart from this world. Thank God for that. No longer are we sinners. No longer are we enemies of God, but we're children. We're born into the kingdom of God. We're set apart to fulfill his plans, his purposes. While this is true, and while we've been set apart from the power of sin, temptation does not go away, does it? Just because you gave your life to Jesus doesn't mean you are exempt from Temptation. But since we are born again, and since we are set apart from sin, the Holy Spirit can empower us to live separate from sin. Look at this, Romans six fourteen. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. And by the way, grace is not an excuse to sin and allow sin to have mastery in our lives. That's completely opposite of what's just said there. Grace is the opportunity for us to have mastery over sin. Boy, isn't that a perverted gospel that's preached the other way today? But it's opposite of what the Word says. For sin shall not have dominion, power, mastery over you. For you are not under the law, but under it. implies this, if you're under the law, then you are bound, and grace is of no effect. But grace, if you're under grace, it should have a freeing effect. Not a freeing effect, I can just go sin all I want, still go to heaven. No, it's this freeing effect, that you can live for Jesus. Newness of life, become more like him. The Holy Spirit will not make us separate ourselves from sin or this world. Now, he'll set us apart, but if you want to go running back to it, he'll allow you. We have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He won't control us. We're not not pawns that he's moving. And there's coming a day of judgment to this world, church. And God will judge this world, and it will all pass through fire. Holy fire. And whatever is left will be pure. Whatever is not pure will be consumed. Second Peter talks about this, chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since we all have these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Man, just look at that verse for just a second. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you, ought you and I be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for, the, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look, look, at this, look for a new heaven's, and a new Earth in which righteousness dwells. Now here's what takes place, church. We are so consumed about this world that is temporal that is going to be destroyed. You know, again, I think we should be good managers of our planet, and this is not an environmental, environmental message, okay? But I'm just saying this: we're trying to save something that is going to be destroyed. We understand that, right? We are embracing a world that will be destroyed. It will be burned. It will be crisp, it will be ash, it won't won't pass through the fire of judgment. Why on earth would we ever want to be attached and associated to that which is going to be destroyed? So we can't fix this temporal world, it's going to be destroyed. It has a destined date with destruction. So we must conduct our lives differently. We must live eternally, not temporally. Any effort on our part to present the gospel to a fallen world, making the gospel more palatable to a sinner is egregious on our part. If we shy away from using words like this, sanctification, uh, holiness, godliness, and righteousness, because those words might be offensive, then we are doing a disservice to the lost, and we are misrepresenting the nature and the character of God. See, the Holy Spirit convicts a sinner of their sin. We don't convict the sinner of their sin. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws a sinner to repentance. You and I can't bring anyone to salvation. The Holy Spirit, by the way, the first name, the first word we see in his name is what? Holy. He's holy. We can't separate holiness from God because he is holy. He's the Holy Spirit. So if we minimize sin, if we downplay holiness, we risk represent the nature of God, which is holy. The church can act like the Pharisees by setting the bar of godliness so high, and if you'll recall this, their idea of righteousness was so high that even Jesus himself couldn't fulfill their ideology of, of righteousness. So we as a church have to be careful. We can't set this bar of righteousness so high that not even Jesus can pass through it. And boy, some of you have encountered that. We can, that's this ugly religion, right? Pharisees. And that's what takes place. So there's no way, there, you always feel like fail, fail, fail. Judgment, critical, uh, condemnation. It's not what we're talking about. But on the flip side of that, we can set the bar of godliness so low that there's really no requirement for a true repentance. And one just comes to Jesus by simply saying yes and Amen yes, I believe this, and sign my name on that card, I'm done. But there was nothing that took place here in the heart. So how can that person be transformed because they aren't born again? You and I don't need to water down the Bible, nor do we need to make our traditions or personal beliefs rise to the level of Scripture. We simply just need to preach the Word and let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 15. Again, people who are trying to be the Holy Spirit. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. And when he is one, you make him twice as much much as a son of hell as yourselves. Church, we have to be careful that we aren't making people twice as much a son of hell as we are. give you an example. If we make a compromise on preaching biblical sexuality... We do a disservice. We do a disservice to those who are hearing the word, and we do a disservice representing the word. So I'll give you an example. And I don't understand this. Why would we we water down what the Bible says very clearly about sexual sin? It's beyond me. I've preached on this subject before, and there was one time I preached on this subject, had no clue. I was basically preaching this. You can't be shacking up with someone and go to heaven. (laughs) And lo and behold, I didn't know there was three couples in our church at that time who were shacking up. So two of those uh, couples got pretty offended. Hey, listen, I'm not a rocket scientist. When, when, when you uh, pretend to be married, and you even put your last names as the same on Facebook, I'm assuming you're married. You know, I, I, I don't have time to investigate everyone's personal lives. Nor do I want to. So these people thought I, would be, I was being offensive to them. Had no clue. No clue. So they got mad because I preached on you can't shack up and go to heaven. So those two folks got offended. They left our church. And uh, they went somewhere else. And they're not even playmates with those same people. They're playing with someone else. But one couple said, you know what? We, we're wrong about this. We need to get married. And they're still married to this day. Praise God. Made a covenant with each other. So I'm just saying this. Why, why would we ever shy away from the word of God. You say, well, well, you offended two people. I didn't offend two people. The word of God offended two people. So we don't need to preach and teach holiness with a red glare of fire and fury in our eyes. No. We need to preach and teach about holiness with a tear in our eye full of compassion. God did not save us, make us a new person, and send us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live a sinful life. Again, I don't know about you. It's been a while, but I still remember what sin smelt and felt like. And I don't want to go back there. And I don't want anyone to slip into that pit because it's a horrible place. God has called us out of this world and he set us apart to be holy. Look at this 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the rev- revelation of Christ of Jesus Christ. Look at this, verse fourteen. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, in all your conduct. Not some of it. No, some of it's all right. We, God doesn't care about that. We just Christianize that. Holy in all your conduct. You say, I, I can't do that. Are you born again? Yes. You can do that. See, if you're born again, you've been a a new person. The Holy Spirit dwells in you and He will help you. Again, being holy in all your conduct doesn't mean you make mistakes, it doesn't mean you're perfect. See, you can fool me, you can fool anyone else. You don't have to be very smart to fool me. But your walk with God is personal. Your walk with the Holy Spirit is personal. And He knows what you think, what you feel, how you do things in private. Verse 16, because it is written, "Be holy, for I am holy. God is holy. If you're born again, He has set you apart from, from sin, apart from this world, and He empowers you under grace to be holy. So when we indulge in sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. <clears throat> and I don't, I don't know if this takes place with you, but when I mess up and I, if I, I mess up and I know that I shouldn't, I feel something in me. Or this will take place. Sometimes I'll do this. I'll just kind of pass it over. But later on, I just feel just a nagging within me. A nagging. Just an uncomfortableness. And I know what it is. The Holy Spirit is grieved. And he's like, let's, let's talk. The more you deny that voice, the more you push him further away, the more you get callous to him. And that is a dangerous place, church. That is minimizing the power of the Holy Spirit. So if we think living holy is impossible, too difficult, or unnecessary, again, I would question, are you born again? I would question if you are born again. So God is holy and he calls us to be holy. Again, the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, he is holy. The Holy Spirit who dwells in us empowers us to live holy. God has set us apart to be holy. Matthew 5 says this, So I want you to think about, I'm just dealing with things that are keeping me in a place where I don't have freedom. Or I feel like I'm trapped or I'm bound by something. So it says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. Now you say, you might be thinking, man, there might be a bunch of us around here that are missing an eye. Are we to take this literal? And the answer is no. So pluck it out and cast it from you for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And verse 30, and if your right eye eye causes you to sin, cut it off, or if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So if someone or something is influencing you to sin, hey, this is a good idea. Get away from it. Get away from it. Pastor, you don't understand. I need this to do my job. Do You know, there are ways that you can use this and still not need this. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a will, there's a way. With the technology we have today, let's just not use our jobs and the equipment you use as an excuse to sin. Because if we really want to be free, we we can apply some things that will give us freedom. But if we don't want to be free, we make up all kinds of excuses and we condone it. Well, I have to work with this person. You know, I'm just saying this. If I had uh, worked at a job and had an affair with a person, um, or I'm sleeping around with a person, then I would change jobs. What's more important? What's more important? Go back to what Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to sin, again, we're not talking about literally pulling out your eye, plucking it from you, casting it from you. We're talking about this. Separate from that relationship. Separate from that person. Separate from that object. Separate from that habit. Separate yourself from that what's more important your soul or your job is your job your soul I'm, just saying this if we do the right thing. God will bless us God will take care of that So this is the action the holy spirit will empower This is the action that god will bless If we fail to make a commitment to separate from sin We won't see real transformation. We just have religion and we get frustrated There is grace church, but the grace is to be free so we come to this area of struggling with sin. I don't want anyone to feel... Number one, I don't, I don't, I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I don't ever want to be the Holy Spirit because I can't do what the Holy Spirit does. I'm not going to sit up here and just start naming sins and hope I get someone. But what happens is this, especially if you've already experienced new birth. You're born again, but you find yourself sliding back into that pit. Or this, you've never come out of that pit. There's, this verse is very important for you to know. Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest, and our high priest is Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of in, in help to help in our time of need. So again, Jesus had flesh and he was tempted. He understands, he understands struggles. But that's why he sent us the holy spirit to help us To help us to live apart from sin and it can be done church. It just comes down, it comes down to this I'm going to set myself apart. I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going to make that determination And it starts with true repentance Some of us we are so tangled in sin and we're just too prideful too embarrassed to admit it But I want you all to know this you can get back on the right path You can get back on the right path first john 1 9 if if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us boy isn't that important it's not just to forgive us but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness why why does he want to cleanse us because he doesn't want us to go back to old ways he wants us to go in a new way of life so we commit ourselves to be holy we commit ourselves to relying on the holy spirit We separate ourselves from sin. We draw closer to God. We repent. God will empower that. God will give you grace that you can overcome. So the main purpose of confessing our sins is forgiveness. And God wants to cleanse us from our sins. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to separate us from our sins so that we can draw closer to him. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.